Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the What's Up Jay podcast. This is your host, Jay, and I'm so lucky and thankful to be joined on this gray sky, rainy day with my lovely younger brother, training to be full-time educator, Justin Mullen. Justin, thank you for joining the pod today. You know, I got to say, it is just the the privilege of a lifetime to be a guest here on the esteemed What's Up Jay podcast. You know, when I heard this was launching, I had uh, hoped to be the first guest. I wasn't. Uh, I also hoped to at least be the first Mullen to be a guest. I wasn't that either. I, frankly, I wasn't even asked. Um, but it's all right. I mean, I binge watched, listened, I should say, to the show, um, listened to you know, musicians and esteemed journalists and, and collegiate wrestlers tell their tales. And I'm excited to join them. So thank you. Thank you, big bro, for having me on here today. Listen, man, the pleasure is all mine. Um, and it's, you know, it's great to be sitting across from you here in your apartment. What's it like, you know, living on your own in Glens Falls, New York? What's it like living on my own? Well, um, it's it's peaceful. I mean, I was never much of a person that liked to stray from the family, you know, but at the same time, I, I find that being away from that family unit that you and James describe with the, the full house complex, you know, give that episode a listen with James Mullen. and they describe the, the big family life I've played as well. You know, at the start of COVID, it was pretty stressful. It's about eight or nine people living in the house at a time. So that was pretty stressful. But right now I live in a two person household as opposed to what is it, a five-person household for you. Um, and it's just, it's peaceful. It's definitely peaceful. Um, you know, sometimes things are a little scary. You watch a horror movie at night and you go to bed and you're like, every noise is an intruder. Uh, but yeah, I get to just relax and not be constantly bothered by noise and people trying to tell me to do stuff. So it's pretty great. Well, how often are you checking under the bed for monsters or ghosts or you zombies know, and the like? I don't check under the bed I don't check the closet. What I do do, though, is do do. Um, what I do do <laughs> is I will turn on my phone's flashlight and I'll look around and I'll be like, all right, let's see if something happens like at the window or, in, or at the door. And, you know, there I've actually th th thought about this a lot because I tend to go to bed pretty late when I have nothing to do the next day. I've thought about like just some really scary things that can happen and what would be the scariest things that could happen you know, because obviously everyone's afraid of like someone breaking in and killing them and all that stuff. But like, I'm thinking more like on a like a deep, suspenseful level. If I'm laying in bed and I hear a noise and I put my flashlight on and suddenly I see my kitchen light go on. That is like that would be the scariest thing that ever happened. Someone's in here. They turn the light on like I'm screwed. Um, also, if I'm up in my living room late at night and uh, someone knocks at the door. Like, obviously, I know I'm home. That'd be pretty terrifying. Um, but I try not to worry too much about the scary things because my life is so far so good. Knock on that wood, but pretty peaceful. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't know if you want to relive this uh, apartment life trauma. But I know, I know that when I lived in my apartment, you know, in Glens Falls as well as, you know, right down the street pretty sure, much. I visited many times. Um, we had our share of, uh, you know, things to deal with of the... Uh, non-roommate variety like uh you know a mouse coming up from behind the oven 
um, for you in your case, there was a bat in the hallway. Yeah, well, it's funny you mentioned the bat because <laughs> bats are actually a tremendous fear of mine. Right. Like something that has developed over the last, like, I guess, 12 months since we first saw a bat in here. Like a tremendous, tremendous fear. I never even seen a bat before until there's one in our hallway. Um, not the apartment's hallway, but like the apartment building's hallway. So how we get to our front door would be in an indoor hallway. There was a bat in there. Two bats, actually, not at the same time, but we got rid of the first one. And another one came in. Pretty stressful. And I've had a lot of nightmares about it. You know, me being bitten by bats, me running from bats that are sleeping on my door. To this day, every time I leave my apartment and leave the building and then enter the building and enter my apartment, I'm always looking around every direction for a bat. It's very scary. And it's mostly scary, one, because of rabies, because I don't like needles, and I have to get rushed to the hospital and get a needle in my stomach in order to avoid getting rabies if I got bit. Yeah, But also, it's like a fear of the unknown, you know? Like, this bass is living its life, but, like, if it sees me running in another direction, it gets stressed out, it comes at me, I don't want to deal with that, so. Well, in in these nightmares, have they ever turned into, like, a superhero-type dream? Like, you know, like, in Spider-Man, he gets bit by a spider and gets spider powers? So I don't become the Batman. (laughs) I will say, though, it's interesting. Spider-Man's bitten by a spider, but Batman is not bitten by a bat. Um, But yeah, I've never turned into a superhero in my dreams. I don't even think I've gotten bit in my dreams. One dream I remember specifically was that my apartment building was on New Paltz's campus for some reason. Which, for those who don't know New Paltz, it's like two hours from here, so geographically it doesn't even make any sense. But regardless, I'm like walking from campus to my apartment. It's like right in the middle of campus by the library. I enter the building... There's a bunch of bats in the hallway. I run out. I'm a on bunch. the campus, and there's bats following me. I don't think I got bit, but it's just scary stuff like that. How and many do you think? Just like you know, give me like uh, you know ballpark estimate of how many bats you saw in that uh, in that hall. Jeez. Um. Well. Well, didn't see it, like, but you know <laughs> so, what I mean. So a little background on us: both of our parents work for a pest control company, mm-hmm. and one time in our family group chat, actually right after we saw a bat in our hallway, my mother sent a picture that one of their um. Um, with exterminators, almost said experimenters, <laughs> another exterminator was doing a bat job in some attic, and he sent a picture, and that was like, had to be twenty bats hanging out like together, laying on each other, sleeping on each other, and I think my dream was kind of loosely based off of that image, so probably <laughs> like twenty bats. What would you do right now if like a bat just like flew out here, like from like your bedroom or something? If there was, well, the podcast would be ruined. We have to start over because. <laughs> There'd be no way we <laughs> can record. No I'd, would have, I'd get up. The microphones might fall you over and you break. Wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to, you know, go on, keep well, the show going. So if the bat, like, flew out here and, like, was, like, perched. Because what it liked doing is perching on top of the door frame and, like, sleeping upside down as they do. Mm. Um, if it did that, I mean, like, I'm not going to run around scared, like, screaming and trying to, like, kill it. Um, but I, I'd be freaked. And... It, if there was one in here, that'd be even more scary for, you know, more than just the jump scare, but like how to get in because we probably are going to get more and that's terrifying. Then you got to get exterminators involved. Of course, the, my fear of rabies comes back. So what would I do? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It would it would be an ugly situation, but I don't think I'd humiliate myself too much. Well, it's interesting how you wanted us to set up, you know, the seating arrangement here then because I'm the one that has like the full lay of your apartment. You're looking at me at a wall i'm looking at the hallway the front door I, I i'd be the one to see a bat fly in and what if i miss it and then you know i don't like what if it just landed on your shoulder or something 
Well, if a bat landed on my shoulder, I think it would most definitely bite me. In which case, again, we'd have to end the podcast and get me to the emergency room. Because what happens with rabies, I'm pretty sure, is if you're not vaccinated, which I'm not, I'm not an animal, and I don't work with animals, um, you get, like, post-exposure. And it's like a giant needle that goes in your stomach, I'm pretty sure. Not that I've done research, but I have. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not that I've done it. Um, and yeah, so that, and I, you know, I hate needles. I, I, as you know, I fainted after my second, or no, my first COVID shot. I made you go for the second one to, have, to hopefully not faint. And yeah, just needles terrify me on, on a different level than bats. I don't have a lot of fears, but the ones I have seem pretty irrational, but also they're, they, they control you. Well, there was one time where I was, I had thought I kind of got over my fear of needles. And I think now I kind of have, I'm not like good with needles, but like, I don't like really risk fainting or anything, you know, knock on wood. But there was one time where I was at the dentist and I was like, you know, I'm pretty good. I think with needles, I think I, I might've just tried to been like psych myself up to try and not freak out. And they had to give me Novocaine in my mouth for whatever they were doing. <laughs> and I remember in my head, I was like, yeah, like I'm, I'm set, you know, like that's like not bad. And they were having me like hold like magazines for some reason. I guess it is like keep me, you know, Zen or whatever. And like they were just like, like you heard like the papers ruffling because my arms were shaking and in my head. I'm like, no, yeah, I'm, I'm like fine. And I'm just like shaking on the, on the, you know, operating table. Needles. The, you know, dentist office. Needles are very, like being, just being prickled by anything. <laughs> um, A prickling sensation. But yeah, I mean like. So you wouldn't be able to do acupuncture then? No. But it's interesting because if I was in pro wrestling, and I don't know if that's a topic we'll get, we'll get to or not, but I'd probably do a thumbtack spot. <laughs> I wouldn't mind falling into a plate attacks, <laughs> which would probably hurt a lot more and be a lot more like cause a lot more long term damage than a needle. But and, you know, I keep going off on a lot of tangents here with with stories. But here's a quick story about needles. With um, when I was in high school, I believe junior year, eleventh grade, I got a staph infection in my hand, and I went to the hospital. At like one o'clock in the morning on a school night, it was weird. I don't know. I don't know what was going on. But I think I had a soccer game far away or something. And when I came back, I don't know. I don't know what happened. The time one's fuzzy. But I ended up going to the emergency room and sitting there for a while. Then they hooked me up, and they're like, "Yeah, you got some kind of staph infection, so we're gonna hook you up to an IV full of antibiotics." And listen, like staph infections, like mine wasn't this serious, but like you can die. You can go septic and die. Yeah. And plus, infections just they don't make you feel good. Like you, you feel very miserable. And I begged this woman. Infections in general suck. Yeah. Yeah. And I begged this woman, this nurse, I believe, to not put me on IV. I was like, you don't have to do this. <laughs> Long story short, she shouldn't have done it because it didn't help me in the slightest bit. <laughs> the staph infection did not go away. I left. They they let me leave the hospital. My staph infection stayed for like five more days. I had a really bad fever. I wasn't like contagious. I didn't get anybody sick or anything. Cause that's not how it works. I don't think. Um, I was going to school and stuff, but like my hand was in a lot of pain. I like had a really bad head cold. It was always really hot. My hand was like sensitive to the touch. If I tried to clap, like I'd be in a tremendous amount of pain because that's where the infection was. My hand and it was very swollen. I ended up going to the doctor and getting it um, treated properly with no needles. Although I did have to get my hand sliced open to let the pus drain out, which bothered me less for some reason than the needles. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, but please I just cut me. I don't need the IV. Yeah, it cuts. I don't know. They don't bother me. But needles, man, <laughs> I don't know why. But yeah, I I psych myself out with them quite badly. I really always have to. And just, it has not gotten better. I'm it's trying to worse. envision you <laughs> sitting there in the hospital, 
trying to like reason with this nurse like look like you really you really don't have to do this to me <laughs> i would say ask dad but he because he was in the room but it was like 2016 he probably would not remember <laughs> but i was sitting there and i was like you don't have to do this like i, I don't want you to do it it's i just please and she's like i know but it's fine it won't hurt i and know but the worst fine. part was too is they tell you that not to look at it if you're if you get nauseous or if you're afraid of needles but you can't help but not look at it when your arm is sitting there it's attached to the IV. Yeah. like it's just it's stuck to your arm and it's inside of your body and you're you there's nothing you can really do about it and yeah so i i was supposed to be doing ap english work uh, at one o'clock in the morning in the emergency room but instead, I was staring at my left arm, stuck to the IV the entire time. But yeah, enough about bats and needles. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm um, more than just a person who's terrified of obscure and ordinary things. I do have one last question for you oh, on the brother. subject of fears, not not needles. Sure. No, yeah, that's fine. And you not bats. I am the host of this podcast, <laughs> um, the What's Up Jay podcast. If that's you right. didn't remember, but he's um, your host. Jay. This is Jay, the host of the What's Up Jay podcast, the award-winning What's Up Jay podcast. <laughs> In the future, we'll be ragging in the trophies. Well, the yeah. awards. Yeah. And you can play the soundbite when it happens. <laughs> It'll be. I'll be like walking on stage, and instead of like music that they play for like a, for, you know, when like an artist or like an actor wins an award, it'll just be that. Well, I mean, you'll, you'll obviously have to play your theme song when you go up, which the the beautiful intro music of Greg Offerdue. That's right, Mister uh, Mister Drummer Boy from your band, The Spot. The spot, yes, and we will get into music later on. We will get into our little side project as well. But I believe you had another question. I did first, have another so fear let question. Let me not push off in a different direction. Before we went on that slight tangent about racking <laughs> in the gold. That's right. Um, so you said that the bat phobia <laughs> that you have developed was what like, about it? <laughs> no, no <laughs> just that it wasn't like you weren't always consciously afraid of bats. This is something that you said within like the last like year or so is kind of yeah last developed. twelve months. Yeah, would you say that like you weren't really that you didn't really have fears like you know that you were super conscious about before that, or did you have other things that have kind of subsided because of your massive fear of bats? So other I've, than needles, obviously, I've always been afraid of three things. And it's kind of interesting how this happened because I stopped being afraid of the third thing and I got a new fear. So how, how about that? <laughs> but I was in the look I was a terrified of needles, elevators and bees. I don't remember you being afraid of elevators. It, 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 it was there. It was there. Um, I got over that. I mean, a while ago, but I, <laughs> I did not like going in elevators and it, it helped that I was never really surrounded by too many, but. Yeah, I did not. I was always afraid of getting stuck. You know, you watch the movie Devil and it's like bad stuff can happen when you're stuck. But also not that I'm claustrophobic or anything, but, you know, who, who wants to be stuck in a honey room for, you know, however long. But I've never been stuck in one yet. It's kind of like being afraid of airplanes or driving. Like, you know, doesn't, nothing bad happens that much. So don't be terrified of it. So I stopped being afraid of that. Um, did I say the third thing yet? You said it was bees. Yeah, bees. Bees. Yeah, I'm terrified of bees. Still am. I Drove my car off the road a couple years ago when a bee flew in my window. Luckily, it was in the middle of nowhere in upstate New York, so I didn't hit anything or anybody. And I just got right back on the road. <laughs> but if I was like in town or in a city or something, I would have probably gotten a major accident. What time of day was this? It was broad daylight. It was like one o'clock <laughs> in the afternoon. Um, but so as you know, I've never had a car that had functioning AC. That is that is true. So you got to always have your windows open in the summertime. Of and course. a bee flew in. Yeah. And I like freaked out and there's no reason to freak out because they don't sting you if you don't <laughs> make them angry. But of course, when you see a bee right in front of you and you're me because you're afraid of them, you flip out and you drive off the road. And that 
is a true story that probably could have ended my life um, over a little bee. I'm not allergic, so don't ask. And I have been stung, and it didn't hurt that bad, so don't ask that either. But I'm still afraid. I have but a... Yeah, Bass took the elevator spot. The elevator spot on the list. Yes, yeah, so and like, not like a spot bats. off the elevator. No. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a recent bee story before we move on. Absolutely. Um, I was in Vermont visiting my partner, Mel. Um, she was doing AmeriCorps up in the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont. And <laughs> me, kingdom. her, and her friend, Caitlin, were going to Stowe Cider, which is like a brewery, you know, like bar type place, um, just to get some drinks. And uh, there ended up being live music, but we didn't know that at the time. So we're on our way. Windows are open, just like you said. Perfect. I'm, I'm driving Mel's car, and I just hear her go like, ow, 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 ow. And oh, I'm like, God. what? And she's like, a bee, a bee, a bee. And I look like, no, Justin, like, listen, this was like. <laughs> if you could see my eyes right now, you know why you said that. I turn. I look at her. I look right down on her, like, hamstring or, like, her just, like, thigh. It's just, like, they're dead because it, like, stung her. And I literally just reached over, picked it up flicked it out the window like without saying anything i was still going straight on the road we had to like pull over make sure because she had never been stung before she didn't even know if she was like allergic mm. she i think she thinks that she is like slightly allergic because it kind of got a little bit puffy but it wasn't like a like a deadly reaction or anything i've been stung twice and the second time i do not even remember happening i, I couldn't even give you context i just remember that it did happen like, I really don't remember anything else about it at all, but I, I'm pretty sure I've been stung twice. The first time, though, I was working at Water Cyberworld as a lifeguard, and I was working on, as you are very familiar with, Aruba Scuba Duba, the um, the children's little play place. and Amazing. Yeah, and there was always bees and, and you know, pests of all kinds at that place, people and insect-related. I feel like there were, like, a few spots out at Water Cyberworld, World, if you don't know where that is, Lake George, New York. I mean, it's not there anymore, but for... You know, it is still there. It's it's there, but yeah, it's not. They're trying to sell the land. Operational, but I feel like there were like bees at like certain hot spots within the park, and I feel like not to bury Waterside World. Rest in peace, Gary, who was the owner, and you know Dawn, who was our boss, was quite nice, except for when she pushed me into one of the pools. (laughs) Um, But she won't. She probably won't listen to this. But anyway, pretty sure I saw a cockroach in the Lazy River once, although it might have been a water bug of some kind. But I'm pretty sure it was a cockroach. Not that that matters. I mean, I'm not judging. <laughs> so wait, did you... If you knew Water Side World, you wouldn't be surprised, though, that they had a cockroach if they did. I really wish, uh, or I hope that, uh, you know, Chase is listening to this just for this <laughs> section of the book. Chase, the man who was never happy. I haven't thought about or heard of or spoken to Chase since, like, 2014. Dude, I'm friends with him on Facebook, and he'll, like, either post, like beer reviews or like his like awesome call of duty gameplay shots of him like sniping people and doing like really awesome chase stuff. it was a one i remember a really smart guy and he's also much older than he looked i'm pretty sure he was definitely one of the veteran lifeguards one of the older one of the older guards on the uh staff yeah but wait did <laughs> did you finish your story about the bees at aruba there was there really wasn't that much of a story i don't think <laughs> i just got stung i don't even i was like 14 or 15 i don't really remember it too much but i got i got stung on the ankle <laughs> didn't really hurt at all actually but it was a little pinch I'm still afraid <laughs> no i've i remember one time of being stung by a bee and it was when we lived in queens and we had like the inflatable pool and i remember like leaning in from like the outside and i got stung on the right butt cheek and that, that that, i don't i don't remember the pain level i just remember it happening i have a butt cheek story and it relates to <laughs> It relates to the staph infection and what? the needles. So thank you for mentioning that because I, I said that there was no 
needle in my staph infection healing process after the hospital. And that's actually not true. I forgot <laughs> um, that I had to get a huge needle. I can't remember what the shot was in my right butt cheek. <laughs> I, and I forget why, too. But it was he drained my hand and got, got blood and pus out of it. And then I had to get a big shot in my butt. And I was, again, terrified of needles. And the thing was, like, probably as big as a tall person's pointer finger. It was a big needle. And they were like, turn around. And we're going to put it right in your butt. So I had to, like, pull my butt, like, my pants down to expose my bare bottom to this nurse. Because the daughter couldn't do it, I guess. Um, Not that that's relevant. And the the worst thing is because, you know, they say don't clench up. But you always do, right? I always, <laughs> I always do anyway. That's my shots always hurt more. I always clench up. Yep. And those are usually on the arms. When they're on the button, you can't even see them coming. As soon as she made contact, <laughs> I clenched up so much. And my, again, this is fall, so I'm playing fall baseball and I'm playing varsity soccer at the time. I'm trying to heal from missing time from being sick and having a hand injury. And now I've got a sore right butt cheek, so I can't sit down properly. <laughs> it was a messy fall. Jeez, it's a long conversation about being stung by stuff. Was that was that your senior year or was that your junior? That year? That was ju- junior year. So, that, so no, at least no, that... actually, was that senior year? No, I I, I think it was because I had a staph infection and I had a foot injury, but I think those were both junior year. Yeah, they definitely were both senior year because there's a picture. I'm trying to think. There's a picture from after homecoming, the dance. Where I'm at the Amber Diner Room in Queensbury, and you can see, or I'm at Friendly Hilling, and you can see my hand wrapped with ace bandages. Bandages. Pretty sure it's a picture from junior year, so I'm gonna say they both happened then. So it was a rough fall for junior year. Yeah, but at least it wasn't like the last, like your last, like soccer season. And you it was not my last hurrah. Have a sore right butt cheek. <laughs> um, yes, sir. So to move on to a different topic, I don't. Not really, the best segue. I don't, I don't really. I don't really have a segue <laughs> from right butt cheek into okay. anything else. Well, let, let, um, let's see where this takes us. So obviously, you went to New Paltz as you kind of mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, you were doing your undergrad there, mm-hmm. and uh, you went there with the goal in mind to become a history teacher. Yeah. Now, before we even get into like what you did at you know New Paltz what it's like to kind of go through that process of being taught how to be a teacher. Um, Cause I think that's super interesting. Um, and I would love to hear yeah. that from your perspective, but totally. what made you like know that you wanted to be an educator of any kind, whether it was history at first, whether you just thought about being, you know, like an educator at any level, like was there something that kind of happened or like a teacher that inspired you to want to pursue that? So, you know, that it's, that's actually a really great question uh, for you to ask me because I have done, some interviews already, and that is a huge interview question for any teacher. It's always, why did you want to become a teacher? So, I can give you the insight. I should be as, a school the, administrator. Yeah, the, I can I can give you the, the interview process here. Um, so, why do I want to be a teacher? Well, um, going back in time, I remember I played teacher in my bedroom all the time. My mom and dad get me a little whiteboard. I'd write like homework on it and stuff. I used to like photocopy my notes and like pretend I was giving it to my students that were not real. I would use my my uh, my wrestling figures to, to to lecture to about stuff, and it was all just fun and games, you know. But I really just enjoyed being in the classroom. And I, you know, I'm a big procrastinator. I'm very lazy, so I'm, I don't like doing homework and stuff. But the school environment really always appealed to me. I really always enjoyed being in school. 
I really loved to learn and it just, it was fun for me. And, you know, the five things when I was growing up that I used to pretend that I was, you know, kids fantasize and all this stuff and they have their dreams and they go off into, you know, dreamland as they say. And my dreams that I would pretend I was doing were singing, acting, playing for the New York Mets, professional wrestling, you know, winning that Royal Rumble, going to WrestleMania, and teaching. And one of those is realistic <laughs> for like a career, because obviously you have to be tremendously talented to do anything that, you know, gets you rich and famous. But teaching was realistic. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting into my career, but to shout out some people because... I didn't only do it because it was fun and, you know, it was a childhood dream of mine. The reason I wanted to go to college to follow it was because I had a lot of great teachers uh, at Queensbury High School who motivated me to keep going and to actually want to do that. And I can shout out a few here. Some of these people I had great relationships with, some not so much, a little less, but they were, I thought they were just really cool people that, you know, if I was a little less shy or a little more into the class, I would have had a better relationship with. But... If any of you are out there, which you probably aren't, but if you are, thank you very much. That would include Bob Hummel, of course, Social Studies, um, Carrie Bundy, who I know you uh, have a great relationship with, and some of my Ms. best Bundy. friends have a fantastic relationship with Carrie Bundy. She's a tremendous, tremendous lady, tremendous teacher, um, a true icon, true icon. Yeah, uh, Susan Sanchez, uh, Debbie Collier, who I actually she was substituting at Lake George one day when I was student teaching there and I thought that was quite funny because I had to sign in to get a computer to do my um, teacher's attendance and I saw her name on the sign and sheet and I was like damn how cool is that like she was a teacher of mine and we we're here working at a different district she's, she's retired now doing subbing and I was just getting into the field but I was like how interesting is that um who what else? is that like before you go oh. on to any any other ones like well you just said how that's kind of like a wild experience but like does that kind of like implant the seeds in your brain that like you're on the right path because you're like you're like seeing you know like those type of teachers that you grew up with yeah doing yeah. what well, you're doing in the same place another funny thing about like george is my chemistry teacher from high school bill brown works there now and if bill brown is listening somehow some way i don't blame you for this but i stood right next to him in the faculty photo and he did not recognize me he did not know who i was <laughs> But I will say that's a good thing because granted he probably has hundreds of students and I remember everybody, of course, but it made me feel better because I was like, wow, like maybe I really am a teacher. Maybe I really do look grown up, but I feel grown up and I feel like I'm a member of the faculty and being 21 years old and on the young end of my class to already be in the field, it's like pretty overwhelming because when I did seniors, you know, for economics, most of them are 18. Only That's only a three year difference. So if faculty and staff are looking at me as I'm on their level, that's a huge confidence boost for me. So that's, yeah, that helps a lot. Quickly though, some other teachers, cause I don't know. I don't, I, I, I don't want to mess anybody. Mm. Uh, so I have a few more names, Joel Brown, downtown, Joel, Joel, downtown Brown. Joel Brown, um, Leah Grady. I don't know if I said her name. Um, Bob Underwood, um, Don Lippa, um, Nancy Nicholson, Miss Nick. Miss Nick. Um, I forget her first name, but Mrs. Hogan Gauchi. Whatever her H first name was. HG. HG. Um, and then, I mean, I'm not a gym teacher, but you got to shout out Doug Frazier, Pete Karate. I was going to say, you better not go into the gym department without you got mentioning it. the legend himself. How can you not? I mean, Pete Karate. We can do a whole podcast 
with Pete Karate and just, I mean, him and the Mullen brothers doing some camaraderie would be quite spectacular. But that's a bunch of names that really pushed me. I wanted to be like them. You know, they, they had a great relationship with their students. They cared about their students. They were a hell of a lot of fun and they were really smart and helpful. So that's that pushed me forward to want to go to college and follow this path. Listen, Pete Crotty, if you're listening, that is a, this is an open invite <laughs> onto the What's Up J podcast. I hope he's listening. That, that would make my day if any of those people I named, but especially Pete Crotty, um, were listening to this. Now, to go into your undergrad degree, I know that you're doing grad school now while having a uh, temporary position That's at right. a school district. Exciting um, times. What was it like? I mean, obviously you do like, you know, your core classes, like everyone does your first like year and a half, two years. Um, but what's it like once you start kind of actually getting into like the classes of the major and like learning how to teach like other people? Like, how is that? Like, how is that process? Well, you know, what What I will say is it. I find it interesting um, that more people aren't taught how to teach things because really we're all teachers. Whether you teach yourself, or you teach other people, you know, if you work at a job and you train somebody new, you're a teacher. You're an athletic coach, like you're a teacher. If you have kids, you're you're teaching them all the time. You know, if you have a friend who's ever done something, you're teaching them. You know, so we're all teachers. Um, but I guess what makes my education more different is the job we are learning how to do is you know be babysitters, be um people who are organized, people who manage statistics, people who manage you know a fully functioning ten month a year classroom and people who are incredibly knowledgeable about a certain content area. Um, and for me, it's social studies, which requires a lot of knowledge. And I couldn't even begin to tell you everything that's in the 7 to 12 curriculum that I'm required to know. And I'm sure that only gets harder with the harder fields like math and science. Um, but, you know, once you get to your specific classes, because a lot of my undergraduate classes, aside from gen eds, were history-based because I was a social studies concentration. You know, a couple of geographies, a couple of political science, more for me because I was a political science minor, but mostly history stuff. And then you get to education classes, which are which tend to be more centralized for all education majors, though I did have one class that was specific to teaching social studies. And, you know, I will say, taking these classes, I don't feel that different from regular classes. You know, it's a lot still, you know, you're reading and doing presentations and doing papers and thinking about certain things like a lot of it's educational theory. You know, a, a lot of it is reading the writings of other teachers to talk about classroom management and, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and I felt personally, and I, I know some other people as well that I've spoken to, but not I can't speak for everybody, but I felt as though I was so unprepared to go out into the real world and teach until I did it. And I was like, wow like they really did prepare me for everything i needed to know and it just didn't feel like it because until you're actually out there doing it you don't know how ready you are like we would do model lessons in my social studies teaching class you know but you're teaching college kids who also try to be teachers so right, they yeah. they have more knowledge and they're more willing to participate and also they're just they're better students because they're you know upper level college students trying to become teachers yeah so once you get with actual students it's it's a big adjustment, but you realize very quickly it's sink or swim. And if they prepared you, which luckily I was prepared, you know, you're able to swim. So you feel ready for your uh, upcoming temporary position then? Well, yes, well, I do. 
first of all, explain to me like what the position actually is, like what's going to go into it. And then I guess what your mindset is heading into your first like legitimate job, you know, post student teaching. Okay. So uh, I'm, I'm getting paid to teach for the first time in my life, which is pretty incredible. Um, and I have a lot of people that I knew that graduated college that got full-time jobs. So, you know, good for them. Congratulations. Round of applause. I didn't, but I did get a nice little gig for a couple of months until the end of October doing temporary work at a little school. Should I name the school or is there people going to stalk me? I'll say it. It's up. Uh, it's brought up, brought up in Perth, upstate New York. I have it on my Facebook. So I love that. Should I say it or are people going to stalk Well, I know me? some colleagues of mine are like, I don't want to put my thing out there because mm-hmm. my students can stalk me easier if they know. Yeah. That, you know, but whatever. I don't care. Whatever. I, I had kids talk me in student teaching and you just, you don't let them follow you. It's that simple. They, they request you and you just, you deny that you have social media and you don't accept them. It's that, it's that simple. <laughs> Didn't um, you have kids try to add you on like PlayStation Network? I have, I have, I had like 15 kids on my Instagram, a kid on Snapchat, and I had kids who would harass me all the time trying to get my PSN name and you can't let them win. Seniors, <laughs> I did let them win eventually once like August rolled around and I was like, well, they're not students anymore and I don't, I'm not going to be working at their school. Younger kids, I did eighth grade as well at Lake George. I can't let them follow me because if I ever sub there or get a job there, they'll still be in school for like four more years. And that's just not appropriate. Plus, I don't need a bunch of 13 and 14 year olds seeing what I'm doing with my life. It's not the most professional look. No, um, absolutely not. But yeah, so I'll be doing eighth grade social studies once again at Broad Alban until the end of October. Um, I was told in, um, I guess it was the middle of August that I did not get the position after a tremendous interview. And I, listen, they, they the told me I did great. I, it was, it was the best they'd ever seen, frankly. No, but, um, <laughs> but no, I felt really good about it. And I walked away feeling like, you know, I may not get a job, but like I'm confident and no, I know I'm going to be somebody of value in the future to these, to these schools. And mm-hmm. they're going to, they're going to need me more than I need them at some point. Just like a really brief sidebar. I just feel like any interview that you get, whether you get the job, or whether you don't get the job, it's always great experience because absolutely, at least for me, like in high school, yeah, high school, when I was at college, when I was in my por- portfolio class, we did do a mock interview, but it was just one interview, mm-hmm. you know, and it was just like you, you got critiqued on it, but you didn't get like a full, like you didn't do like multiple interviews to try to improve. It was like that one. Right. You know, so I feel like any interview that you can get is just more experience. Yeah. And I mean, I think the most important part about an interview other than the experience and whether or not you get the job is, you know, how do you feel about yourself? Because I felt, I feel I really grew as a person in that, in that interview. And I felt like I had a new found confidence in myself. Like, yeah, I, I have something to offer and I may be 21. I may not have my master's or my full certification, but like, I'm going to be a great teacher. I have a lot to offer. And you know, eventually someone's going to see it. And I felt really good about myself and I didn't get the position, but then they changed their mind and they called me and they were like, <laughs> do you still want that job? And I was like, absolutely. And they were like, well, then it's yours. And now school starts next week. I have to plan a curriculum for two months. The good news is the teacher I'm replacing wants things to be very much the same when he gets back. So I'm basically just going to be in charge of his classroom. I'm not subbing for him. I'm still making my own materials. I'm still in charge of like parent conferences and that stuff. But at least he's kind of giving you like a roadmap of where you kind yeah. of need to end and up so you're not left in the dark. I, and I'd rather, you know, come up with my own stuff myself, like my colleagues who have full-time positions are doing. Yeah. But the, the thing is, unlimited time, it helped me to not have to do all that. 
And also, it'll help him when he comes back. He's not going to have to come back two months into the school year and have to. I mean, because it's really a Ted's classroom. Like, I'm in charge for two months. But then for the next six, it's eight. Next eight, it's up to him to come in and be the, the teacher, the disciplinarian, you know, all this stuff. So, you know, you got to do what you got to do. And it makes my life a little bit easier. And I'm looking really forward to it. It'll be a great experience. Hopefully, I do good and they like me and they recommend me to other people. And yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah um well as your older brother you know i'm very uh proud of you for getting this job and uh i know you're gonna do great thank you very much i appreciate it <laughs> it's just me feeding your ego now on my podcast i don't i don't need it but you know hey listen ego feeding is always useful unless you are um i don't want to say any bad words so you know, as long as you're not pompous and braggadocious and egotistical, and it's always posh. good. To... No, you you can be posh and still be a good person. Yeah, I'm I'm just I'm just saying, you know, it's good to say good things about yourself and hear good things about yourself, so long as it's not like you're not a terrible person, you know. Well, speaking of feeding your ego, let's uh, segue into uh, your incredible, maybe the best music ever, your <laughs> music project <laughs> versus which. Man. I just so happen to also be a part of. So versus, if you don't mind, you know, kind of laying out what that is. This isn't like a promotional thing. <laughs> I do. You want to do a song right now? <laughs> <laughs> I got the acoustic guitar. Uh, I, I actually don't. But um, acapella. You know, kind of. You know, taught me through what it is. Sure. Even though I know, talk through well, why you wanted to get started in music and all of the subjects surrounding that. Sure. So. To preface, I have no musical talent whatsoever. That's not true. I grew up in chorus and in orchestra. I played the viola. I was very bad at the viola because <laughs> I didn't practice. I didn't put the effort in. And also, I'm not good with my hands. Like it's, It did not come easy to me. Singing, I always loved doing. Um, however, you know, select choir, magical all stuff. I was never any good, good enough to, to get into those, at least according to, the, to those people's opinions. And, you know, those opinions mattered to me for a while mostly because i felt as though i couldn't you know i couldn't succeed if the people who were above me didn't think anything of me so i still did chorus till i graduated but i didn't see myself as really a singer or anything like that and i kind of realized over time you had a solo project and a, and a group project as did the infamous james mullen who is a famous and esteemed local musician in the Albany, Saratoga, Guns Falls area, and in the Syracuse area. Um, and I was like, listen, this is something I like doing. I'm probably never going to make money, never going to get famous, but if it's something I like doing, I should do it. Like, that's how I live my life, you know? I played baseball until, you know, COVID ruined my club baseball season. I haven't gone back yet because I haven't had the chance. But, you know, I never stopped playing because people didn't think I was good, you know? So just because people don't think I'm a good singer, I mean, I shouldn't sing. I don't play the guitar, I don't, you know, I don't do any of that stuff, so it's a little difficult for me, so I enlisted you to help me. We've actually gotten a lot of positive feedback. People think I'm a good singer, which really surprises me, but I appreciate all the love, and I need it as well, so thank you. Um, but yeah, we are basically an acoustic cover band called Verses. We have a lot of ambition, but, but so little time. Um, you know, I have songs written, we want to record an album, we want to record a bunch of albums, a bunch of EPs. I'm going to cover all these songs, but there's only so many hours in a day, hours in a week, you know, days in a month and months in a year. 
But we're having fun right now. You can find us on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. And uh, we've done Won't Back Down, No Scrubs, Solar Power, Stuck in the Moment You Can't Get Out of, Get Out of Your Own Way. That's it. But some good stuff. And we're having fun. I'm having fun. Wish we can do more. Wish we were better, more popular, had a full band, have more streams. Wish we recorded an album, all this stuff. But I'm happy with where I am. And that was a long monologue. And I'm sorry, I kind of zoned out and was just going on autopilot. <laughs> well, listen, you know, I I agree with you that I wish there was more time because I wish I had more time to put into music in general, not only our project, but just it. I just love music so much. And I know that yeah. you do as well. Absolutely. I know that you do have a lot. <laughs> did you just say absolutely? I did. Continue. Yeah. <laughs> so I know that when you first came to me with the idea, I was into it. I said, you know, I would love to do that. You know, just like send me whatever you want and we'll work on it. Whatever. But you had already had songs that were written, which I didn't know that you were writing music. I knew that you had written. <laughs> we had written a song together like a year or two ago. It, it was like been longer, longer than that. Than that. It might have been, but that was one song prior to Versus even being a thought in either of our minds. Maybe yours, but... Well, it's funny you say that, because actually, when we sang... The song was called Ode to Douglas. It mm-hmm. was about um, his partner, Mel. I wrote it for her birthday. Um, because, basically, the, the, the story goes, when I first got close with Mel, um, as I had developed in my adolescence and become an adult, she came back from South Korea. She was interested romantically in my brother, and I felt very much not a little brother role... But more of a parent kind of role. And so I, I felt like I was the Arthur Spooner to their Doug and Carrie. If there's any King of Queens fans out there. So I would call her Douglas as a joke. Um, so we wrote the song Go to the Douglas. I wrote the lyrics. Jay gave me a guitar part. We sang it for her. And we performed it live at an open mic. Yeah. And the funny thing about that is I almost signed us up as verses on that open mic sheet. Did you? Yeah. But I thought it sounded stupid. <laughs> it was the first thing that came to my head. And then when I wanted to make music and I wanted to sing, I was like, listen, we all do it and it's fun and I want to I want to be able to do it. And I was like, I, I need Jay's help because I can't play the guitar. And Jay's good and Jay will help me. He's a good brother. And I was like, you know what? I, I was going to call us verses that time. And that name's kind of grown on me. So I think that's what we're going to call it. And that's what we did. Well, I like the name. I appreciate that. I know I, I know I have to say that as part no, of the group. You don't have to. I mean, you know, Cease Atlantis didn't like Sensitive Scoundrels. They did not. <laughs> so they changed it. We don't need to fall into those uh, depths. <laughs> but um, do you want to give a little uh, plug for the socials, what they are, real quick about uh, Versus? Um, <sighs> so the problem is we're very hard to find because we're not popular. So you can't just type it into your Google machine. Um, but... I don't, can I like send them to you? You can link them in the description or something. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't have the. I mean, I think our Instagram is all lowercase. We are versus spelled out. V R, sorry, V E R S U S. Twenty twenty one. Facebook is just V S period capital letters. Um, TikTok, I don't even know what it is. And YouTube is also V S period, but that's very hard to find because if you type versus, you find like sports stuff and you find like epic rap of history. You find like, UFC stuff, so um, it's better just to have the direct link. Well, we will definitely be throwing the links to all those socials, all of our covers, and everything down in the podcast. Some of our covers are really good. Check them out. I agree. I mean, some of them are so good. <laughs> what are you talking about? What do you, what do you mean they're not so good? <laughs> but a couple of them are really good. I'm no, very no, no, proud. Wait of a minute. Them. Wait a minute. <laughs> Which ones do you think are not so? I, good? I can't say which ones that I don't think are good because the, the people that listen with the blind ear 
might be like, you know what? He's right. They're not good. Because I've had a lot of blind praise from people, and I don't want to to ruin their perception. Granted, of course, there are always going to be haters out there, and I think the haters and I probably agree on what the, <laughs> the, the bad ones are. <laughs> Shout out to all the haters. Um, Shout out to all the pairs. Shout out to all the fairs. What would you say is the favorite is your favorite cover that we've done? Because for me, it's Lord's Solar Power. I had the most fun recording the video and the blooper that we posted well, as like, well. But yeah, I, well, I got to say the two best songs we've done. So I guess this means the three in the middle. You can kind of decide if you think they're not good or not. Because um, it's obviously these are two that I like very much. But I'm not ashamed to say I'm very proud of how these came out. And that's Won't Back Down by Tom Petty and Solar Power by Lord. I think we both sound tremendous on both of those tracks. I'm very proud of how they came out. Quality-wise as well. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very proud of those. I had a lot of fun with both of them. And they both, I mean, all these songs kind of come together at the last minute. We're very last-minute people. <laughs> um, not to bury ourselves, but, you know, we, we make it work tremendously. Um, but... Yeah, I would I would say won't back down to solar power. I think are the best and the most fun that I've had so far. And listen, there's a lot of classic rock songs, a lot of pop songs, a lot of acoustic songs that I want to cover, really do. Um, but also, it's easier for me to sing than it is for Jay to learn an acoustic part that doesn't exist. So if I wanted to cover a pop song or a classic rock song, you know, I can't just be like, all right, Jay, 24 hour notice, learn this song. Plus, you know, busy schedules, all that. But there's more on the radar. More like won't back down in solar power for sure. Hopefully someday some original stuff. I've got a lot written, but some days I love it. Some, some days I hate it. Some days I don't know what I want to do with it. You know, music life. <laughs> Listen, we'll make it happen, obviously. And stay tuned, everyone uh, listening to this podcast for more music from Versus. But to segue into a different side of the music business as not a performer or as a creator, but as a listener, as somebody who is consuming the art of music, I know that you have been going out of your way all year to listen to new music, like new music that was released this year. I know that you had a playlist of, yeah, I don't know if it was every album, but like a lot of albums released in 2021. Yeah. Um, first of all, what made you want to start doing that? Like, did you start that at the beginning of 2021? Was that like a new year's resolution type thing? Or was that just like something that you did on a whim one day? Uh, it's more so something I did on a whim one day. Um, it's something that kind of started organically in the early spring. Um, because listen, I'm not the most educated fan of music. I'll be honest. I don't know a lot of people's full repertoires, album names, you know, I'm not, I just, I focus on other areas of my life and I haven't put too much time and thought into music, but I love music. And, you know, I always say my, my big three genres are rock and roll, pop and rap and, you know, instead of just listening to YouTube, Michael Jackson and Eminem on repeat, I should go out of my way and like listen to other music. Um, and, you know, I have other artists that I like. It's not those three people. I have a, quite a diverse and big library. But I was like, you know, like the last Dropkick Murphys album I heard was like, what, probably 2007. They came out with an album. I should listen to it and see if it's any good, you know, and all this, all this stuff. And I think, too, there's a perception that a lot of modern music is bad. By people who either crave nostalgia or crave genres that aren't mainstream. And I think that's just a, it's a bad perception to fall into. Because just because something is popular does not make it bad. You know, and for a while I thought most pop music was bad. And I liked a couple of select artists who I had respect for for their songwriting or their natural ability. But, 
you know, I'm like, a lot of pop music is not good, but a lot of it's really good, and a lot of it's really catchy and fun to listen to, and, you know, it, it should be listened to. Why not? You know, who am I hurting by listening to Olivia Rodrigo, right? <laughs> like, come on. That's a very fair point, <laughs> and um, one of the pop albums that I know that you've listened to this year is... Um, lord's solar power yep um i know that you have kind of vented to me about the uh a little bit yeah reaction to it online and how you've listened to melodrama as well and i know that you said that a lot of people like are praising melodrama and kind of you know poo-pooing on <laughs> solar power <laughs> but explain to me your thought process on it because i know that you really liked solar power yeah so let me preface by saying I right now I'm in a very like idealistic state of mind with music. So, uh, oops, that was I just hit my my mic stand. <laughs> um, <but let> me, <laughs> sorry about that. Let me preface and say, yeah, idealistic. Uh, a few years ago, like 2015, 16, I watched a lot of wrestling, a lot of pro wrestling, like every promotion you could find, whether that was you know in front of 50 people or it was WrestleMania, like whoever it was, I was watching it and I found something good and everything. I was like, it's all good. It's all the same quality. Some's better than others, but mostly there's something enjoyable on every show. And I don't agree with that take anymore. I watch very little <laughs> wrestling these days. So maybe in four years, I will be saying everything I liked this year is not good anymore. And I'll only say a few good things, you know, about, you know, an artist or whatever. But as of right now, my take is, you know, if it sounds good, it's good. And yeah, solar power to me has, there are drawbacks. Like, for example, the biggest drawback I have listening to the album as a whole is that a lot of the songs, the chorus is simply repeating the title over and over again. Um, and that's not great. But the songs themselves, most of them especially, like not every single last one, but a lot of them are really good, really catchy, and in my opinion, quite meaningful. And it's a new side of Lord that I really like. And I'll, let me also preface by saying I never listened to a Lord album until this year. So people that have followed Lord, who are really big pop music fans, you know, it's it's more so their hill to die on. Because I don't see a huge differentiation between Pure Heroin, Melodrama, and Solar Power. Like, they're different phases of her career. But that's all I really see it as. Quality-wise, I don't really see it being any better or worse. I prefer it more than melodrama right now, personally, and that's a really unpopular take. But listen, if it sounds good, it's good, and Solar Power speaks to me. Well, I've only listened through Solar Power once, and I will also say that I haven't listened to her other albums all the way through. But I would imagine when you're saying that it's not different, you are just kind of talking about the quality, right? Like you're yeah. saying like it's just as good as the other stuff, but there are probably different sounds as she evolves, like you said, different phases. Yeah, of I mean people people talk about like the production value and, yeah. and, and like her use of like metaphors and stuff like that. But I don't I to me it's not a noticeable difference. And that's again an unpopular take. And again, I don't have that much musical knowledge. So I'm not I'm not some kind of expert. My rankings on music that I'm gonna put on my Facebook at the end of the year are going to be probably people are going to be like, what the hell is this guy like doing? Like <laughs> this guy's a singer. He has no idea. He has horrible taste, but you know, I like what I like. Suit me. Well, let me ask you this before we kind of, uh, move on with the what's up Jay podcast. Last question on the music. I think you and I would agree. And I will let you kind of elaborate on this, that if you know, the year were to end right now, your album of the year, 
pick. You, you, you want to say it at the same, at the same time? <laughs> if I count down from three, are we going to say the same thing? I think so. I think that will be what we are. We have, we've had this conversation <laughs> in, the, in you know, the target parking lot. All right, so I'll go one, two, three, and then we'll say it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. One, two, three. Sour by Olivia Rodrigo. No, I'm kidding. It's, it's, it's definitely... No, no disrespect, though. That album is not perfect, but it's fun. But yeah, it is definitely... It's fun. Pressure Machine by them killers baby the killers i know james said on his facebook the killers are back i don't think they ever left personally they've been kind of as good as they have always been but the lyrics man so deep and to me so personal you know living in the, the place that we live especially you know coming from out of town coming from the biggest city in the world to you know seeing the people that are talking in pressure machine you know that's something i relate to and i think in all 50 states across this country there's a town like that. There's a yeah. lot of towns like that. And I think it's just a really genius concept. A lot of the songs are bangers, really great lyrics. And I can't, maybe one or two songs I would skip if that. I mean, it's just a, a great album. I love it. Love, love every last ounce of it with every fiber of my being. I agree. I've been listening to it a lot. And I know that uh, Mel <laughs> did not finish the album. And I know that I told you that and you were blown away by that you know prospect. yeah let me just quickly say people that the the album that i couldn't get through um was let like this past week was iggy azalea's album i quit like three songs in and i'm like and if you're an iggy azalea fan i'm sorry but if you're gonna skip an album if you're gonna stop halfway through is it more likely that you're gonna stop with the killers album or the iggy azalea album because pressure machine compared to that iggy album it's like man <laughs> it's like comparing eating out of the toilet eating at a five-star <laughs> restaurant and I'm, I'm not trying to insult iggy azalea but it's just they're not even in the same world and no and no one else is making that comparison and jay's dying over here I'm sorry. no one else is making that comparison so that was but i'm just saying like that's the kind of album that makes me stop versus pressure machine and i'm not burying mel's taste there because obviously mel's a tremendous musician well, if you who listens to, to a mel, ton she of would music. probably say that she wouldn't finish either one yeah and i i, I really doubt she would finish iggy azalea's <laughs> But, you know, I just, I, I can't see it. I think Pressure Machine's a near perfect, if not a perfect album. But if you haven't heard it and you like the Killers or you liked Past Tense the Killers or you like rock or pop rock music, Pressure Machine by the Killers is the album for you. It's totally year, in my opinion. As somebody who comes from that journalistic background, yeah, and I know that you had said that when, like, you have it on shuffle and, like, you have this on, like, a playlist... Like the intro field recordings or whatever, like the intro kind of, you know, like audio clips that aren't the song, but are like a part of the song, which I would argue makes them like a part of the song. Right. Yeah. Um, I know that you said that when you're on like a playlist, it's kind of annoying when you hit next and then you get one of these audio recordings before the song. Yeah. Well, I, I get to your get to your point and then I'll. uh well, I was just Rip saying, as as somebody from the journalist, you know, background, I think that that type of stuff adds to the album as a whole. And I agree that it might be slightly annoying, but I find that it's the opposite because I feel that those really add to the subject matter of the lyrics and it kind of highlights like they they highlight each other in a way. And I think it elevates the art. So what I love so much about Pressure Machine is that what you're describing is on full display. But I feel like a lot of artists either don't use these kind of interludes well, or they just they're they feel out of place in in, in out of context. So for example, 
um, Justin Bieber's album, and I think he released two albums this year. I don't quite remember. I didn't particularly care for either one of them. But there was one that was that had like four different interludes of Martin Luther King Jr. that just seemed totally out of place. They didn't go with the song or the albums. I mean, it's the songs or the album. Um, and if, you, if those come up on shuffle, I'm like, what's going on here? Um, famously, U2's um, shtick in 2017 when they had Kendrick Lamar come on an interlude. They connected Get Out of Your Own Way and American Soul with an interlude in Kendrick Lamar, but the interlude splits two tracks. So if you start American Soul on shuffle, it comes in halfway through the interview or the interlude, excuse me. Get Out of Your Own Way, if you listen to the whole thing, it goes halfway through an interview, then stops. And people will be like, oh, well, don't listen on shuffle. And like, Sorry, I'm a casual guy. I, I listen to shuffle. What do you want? Um, but I think Pressure Machine does a perfect job making the interludes relevant to the song and it, you know enhance the experience of the song and enhance the experience of hearing the lyrics and hearing the music. Um, my complaint is more so with times where it just doesn't feel relevant or necessary. But Pressure Machine is absolutely like un- just a near perfect album, and the interludes enhance that experience 110. percent Well, Justin, uh, now we're going to segue into the gut reaction segment, which if you're new to the What's Up J podcast, it is a recurring segment that we have on the show where I ask the guest five questions and they give me their gut reaction, their hot, spicy takes to those questions. Justin, are you ready? Um, I hope so. I mean, I've, I've listened before, obviously. My question was answered a couple weeks ago, or was it last week? A couple weeks ago, I think, by you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm quite familiar, quite excited, but also I have not gotten these questions in advance. And I know when somebody says that, it kind of makes it seem like they have gotten the questions in advance, but I really have not. And so it's a little nerve wracking. It's kind of like going on a news show or, or a game show or something and not knowing what's coming at you. But sink or swim, like I said with teaching, let's let's do it. Let's uh, slide headfirst into the first question, which is going oh, to God. be as a fan. Tommy Bai, isn't it? Of the New York. <laughs> as a fan. Of Dive headfirst. <laughs> Loses an earring. But as a, as, a fan of the, as a fan of the New York Mets, seeing what you're seeing right now, the whole thumbs down debacle, thumbs up, doing a Dave Batista uh, <laughs> WWE reference. Um, <laughs> as a fan, are you angry at the players? Do you or are you on the side that booing is kind of counterproductive in the uh, realm of sports in general? Like, I mean, you know, when you boo your own team. So this this question is really easy for me, and it's it's a controversial answer. So you know, I'm on the bad side. But look, I think Met fans are are tremendously embarrassing. I think Met fans in general, and I'm not trying to start a war. If this podcast got incredibly famous and they're playing it at City Field, my head would be on a pike. But Met fans are, in a lot of cases, dumb and aggressive and irrational. And we saw this in April when they booed Francisco Lindor when he was like two for 25. And look, Lindor got hurt. He had a really bad season. No one's gone to bat for him more than I have and been let down as a result than I have. Uh, Lindor's my favorite player on the current team and he's had a terrible season. So what does that tell you? But at the same time, you don't boo your players. You just don't. It's not 
sports are not a uh, uh, it's not entertainment. You like you can't boot a voice for displeasure because what they're doing is based on talent. It's not predetermined. It's not that you don't know, like the, the direction they're going. They're just not performing. And booing does not do anything to help that. It makes our organization look clashless. And I mean, seeing what happened with our GM today, what happened with our last manager and our, and our last GM and our other last manager. Like there's just, this is a classless organization that we're trying to rebuild day by day and we keep getting let down. And it does not help that our fans are out there in our ballpark booing the hell out of our players. It's dumb. It doesn't help. Like, whose side are you on, really? And they'll say, oh, it's New York. Oh, get used to it. Oh, play better. Oh, we just want to win. Bull crap. I don't care <laughs> what your expectations are. I don't care if you want to win. If you're a Mets fan, if you want the success of the New York Mets, you do not go out there and boo your players. And look, Javi Baez is an outsider through and through. He's became, he came here and got hurt right away. And aside from hitting some home runs and having some cool slides, hasn't been that effective. But he is still a part of this team. You do not boo your own players. I It drives me insane and it blows my mind how people can boo their own players. So I'm happy. In fact, I wouldn't have done my thumbs down. I would have flipped off the crowd if I was them. And it's just that simple. You don't boo your guys. They have to show up and they have to play and they have to perform better. And the only people you can blame for them not succeeding is them, the players. But at the same time, you should not be rooting against them. You should be supporting them. When they don't achieve, you should be hanging your head and frowning, not booing, raising your arms, having thumbs down, giving middle fingers, yelling, all this stuff. No, you're disappointed because your team didn't succeed. You're not angry, vilifying the team. That's your team. Those are your guys. And that's a long answer, but this, it, it riles me up. I'm with the players on this one 100%. I'm not with Cohen or Sandy or the fans. I'm with the players. You know, to go back to what Terry Collins once said, if this game was easy, we'd be sitting there watching you guys play. And look, I mean, Terry might be on the, the side of the fans. I don't know. He probably wouldn't have tolerated it from his players. But no, I will say, as he have. says, you know, it's not easy to play. And, you know, the, the, we would be watching the, the reporters and the fans play if it was easy. Um, but at the same time, doesn't matter if it's easier it's hard like it's based on talent it's not pro wrestling it's not theater it's not it's not anything where you can be like this sucks so change it like because it's not that easy it's not a creative direction it's athletic ability <laughs> and it's a, it's also it's not like these guys are like sitting in the clubhouse and not putting in the work every yeah, day like exactly. being lazy like they're working every single day they're out taking ground balls they're out in the cage exactly they're doing all this stuff i mean listen if it as Met fans, I'm used to being let down, right? I mean, let's go back to the most recent one, 20 and 2019. Yeah, I mean, it's the whole organization's history. We've been good. Even when we're good, we're usually let down. And we've been good, like, what, less than 20% of the time over 60-plus over years? So. Yeah. So you would say you're on the side of the players, not the fans in this, yes. in this instance? Totally. Wholeheartedly. I kind of tend to agree with you. I, do, <laughs> I mean, you know, I also am not a huge fan of Mets fans, to be fair. I mean, to be blunt about it, I mean, that's like a generalized thing. I feel like majority of Mets fans like are just like, they jump to the extremes so often. And that might be other fan bases too. Yeah, let me just chime in and say, I think that's most fans, period. But being a Mets fan, it hurts the most because I see my brethren, my brothers and sisters of the New York Mets fandom being just so dumb and so aggressive <laughs> and so ignorant and so irrational. So, yeah, I'm there with you. You know, to kind of segue into a second Mets question here, would you rather the Mets win a World Series this year or they like they won in 1986 but they never win another one again 
So let's say like if they win this year and they don't win another one, which rather 1986 have been their last one. Like which one do you think would mean more to you as a Mets fan? So you're saying they win on 86 and that's it or they win now and that's it. Yes. Um, well, I mean, and if, and obviously if they win this year, they would have also won in 86. Right. But so you're saying, okay, so that's actually a much better question than I thought it was at first. I'm thinking about how bad this team is. <laughs> and I don't, I don't think it would mean a lot to win a title this year. I really don't. The, the fans hate the team. They hate Luis Rojas. <laughs> they hate Steve Cohen. I don't think it would mean that much for us to win a World Series. But at the same time, as a Mets fan, I have not seen one in my lifetime. So I do want that to be a World Series title. And also, I'd love it for Lindor and Baez and Smith and Nimmo and Conforto and all these guys that have not performed well to shut these fans up. The problem is they can win the World Series and next year the fans will go right back to, to you know, carrying on and moaning and all that. So, I, you know, don't worry about them. I would say win it, win it now, even though I don't think it would mean as much as 86 did. It's a way worse team with way less fan support and way less hype. But still, I, I, I got to see it. I got to see it in my lifetime. I would love it if we were to win this year, not because of like not just being a fan of the Mets, but like seeing a team that was in first place all year and everyone saying how bad they were and how bad the division was. Mm -hmm. If they were to come back as of today, I don't know if the Braves played today, but they as of yesterday, they were five and a half games out of first place with like 30 games to play. Yep. They have to climb back from that because they're not getting in the wild card because this division is so Right, yes, it's division horrendous. We're under five hundred in the division race. <laughs> under under five hundred, five and a half games out. That means we got to come back from that leapfrog the Braves. I'm not sure if we're in second or third place at this point. So maybe one team, maybe multiple teams to I get to first place. place. With the fan backlash that has been coming for the entire year, even though for a majority of the year we were in first place. Yep. To then crawl back to first <laughs> place. Only <Mets> fans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. To then crawl back to first place to win a World Series. I mean, not even just to win the World Series, but to progress through the playoffs after being one of the worst teams in the in the league, and everyone, you know, I like talking smack about it. You make a really compelling point, and I think it's it's like the Marlins of last year. I yeah. was rooting for the Marlins last year. They were not ready for to be a postseason team, no. obviously. But I was like, how cool would that be? And not only would we be the worst team in there, but we'd we have to climb to get there. So yeah. it, it would be exciting. There would be a lot of hype, and it would be the ultimate underdog story. So yeah, you you add even more reason to want to see that speaking of underdog stories that's going to segue into question number three great which would be if you had to choose one dream profession Ooh. and you get these two choices oh, you're either a singer huh or you're a professional wrestler and the reason i say underdog story is because one of your favorite wrestlers uh ray mysterio ultimate underdog winning the royal rumble entering in was he number one or was he number two? I he forget. Was number two. So he was, he was number two. Six. Twelve seconds. Something like that. Yeah. But so you either become a pro wrestler, and because they're elitist by height, especially in WWE. Yeah. Well, I I wouldn't be going there. <laughs> we can get into that in a second too. But, <laughs> but so would you rather be a pro wrestler, ride in the indie scene, maybe go into AEW Dynamite, or would you rather be a professional singer and make some money off of your art? So look. Um, the thing is, is that I see myself as being a rock frontman who doesn't play any instruments. Basically, basically I want to be Bono <laughs> without people hating me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, w without the, 
without the self-righteousness and without the uh the the, the tax evasion the south park episode about, yeah about yeah that's not what i want but I, I i want three guys behind me playing music while, while i sing along but that kind of music is not only dead like rock groups today it's like pop rock which i'm fine with i don't you know every, one republican twilight pilots have their place yeah um but i don't know that that's the way i could perform also though i I only really write, like, the songs I write, I can only see being sad acoustic songs. So I don't even know if I would have it, you know, would be cut out to be a, a rock front man. It's tough. But also, that music doesn't really sell. So if I got lucky, found three great bandmates, and wrote some banger songs, would I be that successful? Whereas you look at a wrestler like Chris Jericho, who makes his own music with Fozzie, and they're not that successful. They're heavy metal. They're, you know, got a cult following. But he gets to follow his dream and, and do both. And I think it would be easier for me to be a wrestler who sings than a singer who wrestles. Um, although I could be like Bad Bunny and have that big WrestleMania match as, as a singer. Um, but I think I would rather be a professional wrestler, which is it's it's tough. And people are like, what, really? But like, you know, I've watched wrestling since I was a little baby. And I still watch it to this day. And yeah, I, I was saying since other baby, and I still sing today. But you know, I've, I'm already singing. I do sing already. You know, I don't already get the chance to wrestle. And if I did wrestle, it would be way more physical pain than I'd be getting paid for. So if I can be famous for one of them, I'd rather be making a boatload of money. Because if I was wrestling on the weekends as a teacher, my body would be in so much pain, and I'd be making like probably twenty bucks a match. Where if I sing. I'm not making money either, but at least it's not <laughs> taking body slams and, and that kind of stuff. So it would be more worth it to be famous as a wrestler because the monetary flow would be it would make up for what I'm going through, I guess. And also it's, you know, it's been a, it's been a dream forever. So I, I guess I'll go with that one. In this universe, as Justin Mullen, professional wrestler extraordinaire, would you be, you know, pushing for unionization? Uh, yeah, I think it's, you know, anyone who's aware of the situation knows that wrestlers and mixed martial artists all across the board are treated like garbage by their employers, specifically in WWE, but also, um, to my understanding in the UFC, um, and other wrestling organizations, but really the only other big one is AEW and they treat the wrestlers quite well. Still, still, you know, there is room for improvement, but yeah, I mean, any job, I think should have unionization as Pete Seeger once said, you know, the union makes us strong and not to sound like too much of a, um, Marxist, I guess, as the conservatives will call me when I, when I, when I say this, I think workers band together is a good thing. And, you know, I don't care if you're John Cena and Brock Lesnar, like you still need to have your rights and your bodies protected by your employer, you know? So that's where I stand. And which company would you want to work for? Obviously, you're kind of praising on AEW more than the WWE, but would you rather be in like a TNA? Well, there's Impact now, NWA, Ring of Honor, New Japan Pro Wrestling. So what I will say is this, and, and you know this, and I, I earlier I alluded to dreaming about winning the Royal Rumble and going to WrestleMania, but it's actually it was never even a dream of mine. I never fantasized about being in more wrestling entertainment, and it's probably because I knew I would not get pushed there. I'm too small. I'm not a luchador, so it would not really work out. So I kind of never even really wanted to go there. I watched it growing up until like a couple years ago, 
mean, I watch it every week and I still watch the pay-per-views, at least the big ones. Um, but I don't think I'd want to work there. AEW, I think would be great. It would be awesome, but they got a lot of guys. So I don't know if I want to sign there full time. I feel like my spot will be on dark elevation and that's not the life I want to live. I would, I think I'd want to be more of a freelancer. Um, you know, I think there's, there's, there's room in NWA, there's room in Impact, there's room in ROH, there's definitely room in New Japan to have some banger matches. Um, but if I was going to hunker down and sign in one place, if I was, let's say, instead of going into teaching, I was a great wrestling pro- prospect and I was going into wrestling, I'd probably take my chance at AEW. But perfect world, I would, you know, be a freelancer and go around to a bunch of different non-fed promotions. Right in the indie scene. Yeah. As the uh, WWE My Career Mode paints out to be such a glorious... BCW, uh, baby, with Baron Blade. <laughs> Baron Blade. <laughs> it's, it's BCW, right? I'm pretty sure that's what it I is. I think it is. I with, mean, the, with I Mr. haven't played CQ. any That's of 2K19. The... I know if they change it for 2K20 because I didn't buy it. Um, 2K20, I watched... Uh, I think I might have been calling me Kevin on YouTube. Play speak, it. speak of the devil. Yeah, <laughs> our dear leader. Dear leaders on the wall next to me. If you know, you know. But um, and he was you playing the know. he was playing the career mode, and it was it was strange. Like you were, it was doing like flashbacks from your career, and like your present day self is like getting ready to like be inducted into the Hall of Fame. So you're like reliving like moments throughout your career, kind of, and like talking to like other people like backstage or like the Hall of Fame thing or something. I mean, uh, that doesn't sound like the worst thing they've done, but I don't, I can't see that being a fun thing to play through. There was a lot of glitches, though. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> which is why. It 2K, seems like there would be. Which is why 2K22 isn't coming out until like March. It's like they're like delaying it. So it's not, you know, poo poo. Well, I don't know if I'm going to buy it, but if I do, I hope it's not gross to play. I have another question for you. I got two more questions for you, actually, as the segment would allow. Um, I, don't, I was going to say, I don't even know what question you're on. <laughs> um, this is more of a basic question, might have a, a broad answer, but would you rather live and teach in a city environment or would you rather live and teach in a more rural area? You know, that's really tough. Um, but I think I got to go city environment. Uh, part of me longs to live in a major city. Um, you know, I think there's just, there's there's more spark. You know, cities are more vibrant. There's more going on. And I feel like cities, especially, I mean, this past summer I was in New York. I was in D.C. I was in Boston. There's just so much going on. There's so many people and perspectives. There's so many races and ethnicities and sexualities and genders and ideas. You know, it's just, it's a great place to be. Um, but at the same time, it's it's overwhelming for sure, and it takes a lot of open mindedness, but also a lot of like you you, you got to be carefree. You got to let things roll off your shoulder. You got to not pay attention to people. You got to not get finagles on the streets. You got to not get into an accident on the you know on the crazy busy streets. You know when you're driving, it's, there's just there's a lot to worry about. And I always kind of felt as you know growing up that teaching in a city would be tough because you know you'd have so many different things to worry about. But I, I think you have things to worry about everywhere, you know, and there's, yeah. you're always, I mean, even in, you know, homogeneous upstate New York, there are still students that are LGBTQ+. There are students that are, you know, students of color. There are students that have disabilities. And there's the constant threat of things like bomb threats and school shootings. So, you know, it's, to me, it's an illusion that cities are more dangerous. So I think I, long-term permanent residency would want to be in a city but for now i'm happy in upstate guns falls but i don't want to be here forever 
as a kind of follow-up question to that fourth question, this is not the final question of the segment, but do you think it's more, I don't want to say more important, but do you think it's, do you think it makes it more important to be more conscious in schools as we are both, you know, white Caucasian males, like, you know, being in a more rural area where the minorities are like the statistics are such where they are so much lower than they are in cities. Do you think that it's more that you get a better experience if you allow yourself to hear from those, you know, people, or do you think it's better if you are living in a more urban area to have more people around you to more, I guess, kind of normalize that type of environment? You know, it's, um, I think looking at, minority students in homogeneous environments it's it's tough um and actually i had a student i'm trying to remember the exact context um i did current events a lot with my seniors um when i was student teaching and i had a student of color who what there was some story about something being racist and he was like that's ridiculous that's not racist at all like and he agreed with his like white conservative classmates and I was talking to the, the teacher I was working at the time after, and she was like, you know, part of me wonders, is that his true perspective, or is that, you know, because he is surrounded in this homogeneous white environment, that he has a different opinion, or he shows a different opinion in order to fit in. And, you know, I think it's hard for for students, you know, gay and trans students in, in straight cisgender environments, students of color in white environments, you know, women in male environments, stuff like that. It's really tough to be open and share your experiences in a, in a way that you'll be understood. But also I think a lot of these students become like the representative of, of who they are because people don't relate to them. And I remember, you know, growing up in Queensbury, there were instances of this where a, a Jewish student was asked by a chorus teacher to translate a Hebrew song we were singing and talk about its meaning in Hebrew or a, a student that was an exchange student from Japan being asked you know, what life was like in Japan and if they had their own version of the American dream ideology, or if it was different there, like stuff like that. And it's like, you know, I'm not responsible to speak for my, you know, who I represent and who I am just because I'm the only person like that that you know. Yeah. So it's tough. Um, but, you know, it is really important that students be exposed. So it, it's a balance that I don't know that I've found or that a lot of people have found. But in homogeneous environments, we have to be aware that there are, again, students with disabilities, students that have differing sexualities and genders and students that are of color so it's, it's important to be mindful and to be tolerant and accepting and to listen to their stories, but to not to not force them to represent a movement or a, or a whole group of people. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that answered your question, but I I felt like I talked a lot. So no, I yeah, no, I think that's a great answer, <laughs> and I absolutely agree. Um, and to you know go on to the final question of the gut reaction segment to kind of close out the What's Up J podcast, a much less a serious question, kind of going back to the pro wrestling side of things here. So you said you would have rather been a pro wrestler than a singer. Yeah, which I might. I should I go back on that? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I'll take bumps. All right, so you're a pro wow. wrestler taking bumps, taking the uh, the thumbtack spot. Well, hold Excuse on. Me. So, but let me be surprised by saying I think if I'm a pro wrestler, I think every pro wrestling family will will appreciate me and respect me, or at least ninety percent of them will. Where if I'm a famous singer, I'll get so much hate. Even if I'm so wealthy, like I'll get a lot less hate wrestling. So that's how I'm gonna justify that. So your the, dream the match, thumbtack spot, yeah. Dream match, you know, taking a thumbtack spot, whatever. <laughs> the one wrestler, you know, past, present, 
future, even if you think that, you know, a third generation superstar or whatever is going to be coming up through the ranks, name one wrestler that you would want to have a dream match with. If you were to have one match, name, name the stage, name the stakes, name the wrestler. Jeez. Yeah. And this has to be like realistic or. No, it could be whatever you want. Okay. That's why I said, you know, like past, present, future. Right, okay. could be, well, like, you can I, go up against Andre the Giant at well, WrestleMania. I'm 30. not going to do that, but I probably will say WrestleMania, hypothetically speaking. Because, I mean, my WrestleMania is a mess. It's long and there's not many good matches. But <laughs> hypothetically speaking, if I can go back to have a, a Steamboat, Savage, or an Austin and Bret Hart match. Is that even a WrestleMania match? I think it was. Um, Yeah, it was Mania 13, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, so if I, can, if, I can, if I can have a match like that, I'm picking WrestleMania, but in a big stadium. So old school wrestling, but in a stadium. Um, but who am I going to wrestle? Jeez. Um, you know, the first name that came to my head and that I think is my answer is the American Dragon, Brian Danielson. Mm. I think, I mean, aside from Rey Mysterio, he's probably my all-time favorite. He's a guy who really inspired me. He really kept me wanting to be a wrestling fan. Um, in the 2014, 2015, he really spoke to me. I saw myself in him, you know, as a, as a little guy who, you know, didn't think he had, a, he would have a place in that kind of industry, you know, and he was just he's so damn good. It's like so damn good. Like, um, probably the best technician of the last 20 years that's wrestled that almost that whole time. Um, and you know, is he a Bret Hart or, or a Benoit or an angle? No, but he's on their level and and he presents a different style. So it's he's just tremendously talented. Um, I didn't mention Guerrero on there, too, but you can have Guerrero on the mix of guys. Uh, but anyway, so Brian's the, the probably the, the guy I would say. Um, but you got to show up to Rey Mysterio. I got to shout out my current favorite wrestler, Jungle Boy. He's great. He's fantastic. Um, and I mean, it's I have so many all time favorites that I'm not even mentioning. I mean, I th- I think I'm just gonna keep it with Brian. I don't want to think too too deeply into it. Brian's fantastic. You ready to see uh, Brian Danielson debut at AEW All Out in Chicago, Illinois? Well, I was hoping to see him debut at Grand Slam. AEW Grand Slam at the Arthur Ashe Stadium, which we will hope maybe got tickets. But but between us getting uh, jobs and, and more hours at our jobs, and you know them, you know with COVID coming back with the Delta variant and there being vaccine requirements, granted we are both vaccinated, but you know, tricky situations and we have jobs. So maybe we won't be there, but I was really hoping we would be there and we'd see him debut. But man, I love him. He's tremendous. They just got punk, which is so huge. And, you know, you you, you got to get the stars when they're available, man. You got to. And Brian's a star and he fits. He's that kind of wrestler. And he's going to a wrestling environment. And I am really excited. I'm looking really forward to All Out this weekend. The car is not as great as it usually is, but I'm a Christian Cage mark. I'm so happy to see CM Punk. I love the Lucha Bros. Um, Brett Baker's, you know, amazing. So I'm looking forward to it. And I'm looking forward to hopefully hearing the final countdown and seeing Brian Danielson come out. That would give me chills. Goosebumps. Goosebumps. Kind of like if Hogan came out. <laughs> I'm just Hogan coming out at Saudi Arabia to challenge uh, the new WWE champion, Bill Goldberg. No, see, it's going to be they're, they're going to enlist somebody else to join the Hurt business, maybe Virgil or somebody, an, an old school guy like that. And then it'll be Goldberg, his son, Hook, or whatever his name is. And then, and then Hogan, six man. Who's the third man, brother? And then, you know, it really will be Hogan. Perfect. Full circle. 
I mean, the only way Hogan's coming back in a wrestling match is at Saudi Arabia. Surprised it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, according to too. Bruce Pritchard, and screw him, but according to him, he said Hogan still thinks he has one in him and still wants to work it, and he's 68, so he's been standing for five years, he's got one left, and they won't let him do it, but I think eventually it's going to happen. <laughs> well, just, I really thought, sorry not to cut you off, no, I, yeah. I really thought we were going to see Hogan and Flair in Saudi Arabia, I mean, and we never did. We saw that tag match where they managed, but I really thought we were going to see that match, and now Flair's gone. But, Maybe yeah. we'll see it in AEW. <laughs> oh dear! Imagine seeing Hulk Hogan versus Ric Flair at that, AEW. That I would start listening to the criticisms from the marks with that. <laughs> that did happen. Oh X WWE, bro. Yeah, it would be. I mean, that would be something. Something else. <laughs> well, Justin, uh, thank you so much for inviting me into your lovely home here, your lovely apartment. To well, thank you for setting up your makeshift podcast studio in the corner of my living room. I really, I mean, I'm so glad to be here, and we, I, I didn't know what to expect. Um, but I had a great time we, and we had some really good discussions. So. We did have some good discussions. I didn't see a single bat fly around in your kitchen or anything. So, yeah, but uh, do I trust you? <laughs> you, you, you steered me wrong dozens of times. Whoa. whoa. <laughs> what are you talking about? Oh, you know, I, I we don't, we, we don't need to get into it right now, no, but um, I mean, I can't, I, to, to the viewer at home, the loyal WhatsApp Jag podcast listener. I did not think of anything off the top of my head, but he was, done, you know, <laughs> wrong to me. So don't boycott the podcast. But I'm a good guy. If I think about it, and I have some some dirt, I'll I'll air it. But I don't. I have nothing. So air the grievances. Yeah, um, well, that's not Festivus yet, Jay. It is not Festivus. The poll is not up. But Justin, do you have anything that you would like to plug for the listeners? You have any social medias? You want anything? I mean, I know we said we'd, we'd uh, throw the verses links. Yeah, the verses the links definitely. Um, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, obviously you like Jay Mullen. Or you're intrigued by Jay Mullen in some way. So following verses would be not only listening to my great voice and, you know, getting my tremendous perspective on life and on right now popular songs. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, your you, verses is fun. We have a great time and we'll put all our socials down there. I, I don't really do much else. I mean, I have Facebook and Instagram. You can find me if you want to. TikTok and Twitter, I don't use to like post things so don't 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 look me up on there um but i appreciate it and not to plug anything but i appreciate people listening to this if you are uh i think we all have a story to tell and i appreciate jay telling it and maybe one day i'll come back after he's had many more guests and many more successes i'm sure uh justin will be making another appearance or many more uh, on the What's Up Jay podcast. You know, let's make me a co-host. I think I've been the best guest so far. Obviously, Dave. <laughs> I think Dave Blow's story is probably better, but I think I've, <laughs> I think I've been a better guest overall than everybody else. Not to not to bury anybody. It's not a competition. You're not trying to bury any of the other uh, talent. I mean, I've only met one of them. That's <laughs> <as> my <laughs> other brother. But you know, I only know one of them personally. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not trying. I don't. Know, I mean, Mac Temple was he want to be on here? Max Temple was not here. Yeah. Yeah. Dave. Dave I know Dave Blow because he's a celebrity in your life. There's been others, I think. <laughs> oh, God, I'm blanking. But I don't, I'm not fighting with those people because I don't even know them. I'm just saying. I thought you know. You know, one of them's Austin Crows. You're the other WWE Mark, and I think you guys are gonna have That's to have right, a match the, in the backyard. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, if ACW ever gets, you know off the ground we'll be at the place beneath the pines waiting for them <laughs>